so enjoyed this, so enjoy singing the songs with you. Praising the Lord together, we continue in the series called Anthropology, the goal of which is to help us to see ourselves as God sees us. And if you've been along for the ride, you will recall that, that there are three events, all of which we have sung about this morning. Three events in the story of humankind through which we see ourselves. And that is creation. Uh, Alan Michael preached a wonderful first sermon, We Are Created in the Image of God. And then there's crucifixion. The same God who created us sent his only son to die for us. Wow. And then there's consummation. And consummation is that word that refers to what we just sang about. He shall return in robes of white. Amen? The blazing sun shall pierce the night, and I will rise among the saints. This is our God, church. This is he. And so today we look deeper into this whole thing of crucifixion, but the crucifixion begs for a resurrection. The crucifixion was a dark, dark moment and some dark, dark hours that begged for some light to come shining through. Perhaps you've watched the news with eagerness, as many have, uh, awaiting the rescue of this soccer team in this cave. And I, I learned that some were brought out just this morning and that that rescue is underway. The question ought to come to your mind, why? Why would we risk this life for that one? Why is somebody coming in risking their lives for people they don't even know? They haven't even met. They, they don't know them personally. And the reason lies in the fact that, that those rescuers, that Navy SEAL who lost his life putting oxygen along that route out, whether he knows Christ or not, is living out in that moment the image of God. God is on a rescue mission. God is all about rescue. And, and whether that uh, Navy SEAL who died knew it or not, he, he came, uh, he's, he's living out the picture of God on his rescue mission. Alan Michael quoted Anthony Hokum, a great theologian, in his first sermon. I want to remind you of that quote. He said, we must understand that the most important thing about man is that he is inescapably related to God. The most important thing about man is that he is inescapably related to God. You cannot escape the imago Dei, the image of God in you. You can't run from. Uh, it's marred by sin. It is nowhere near perfect because of sin. I'm just saying to you, you can't escape it. You can't get away from it. And so we have a simple but profound progression in this passage, and that's going to be our truths today. And the first truth is, while we were weak, ungodly sinners, straight from Romans 5, weak, ungodly sinners. Weak means morally incapable of getting it right. Without moral strength. We were morally strengthless. Uh, that's the word weak, ungodly. We did not revere God's sinners. We missed the mark. 
lest you walk in here this morning thinking on this side of salvation. You've come to Christ too highly of yourself. Might I remind you that before Christ you were a weak, ungodly sinner. That before he came for you, before he called you out, you were weak and ungodly and you missed the mark. Jesus himself said this. He was preaching to some pretty self-righteous people who were proud of their own accomplishments. And in Luke 18, he decided to tell a story to illustrate his frustration and to demonstrate a truth. He told a parable to some who, here it is, trusted in themselves that they were righteous. Trusted in themselves that they were righteous. And as a result, when you do that, treated others with contempt. Right? They trusted themselves. They treated others with contempt. Here's the story. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get, but the tax collector standing far off will not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, Jesus says, this man, this tax collector, went down to his house. What's the word? Justified. Uh, That's what Paul is dealing with in Romans 5. He went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exhausted. Please hear me. Speaking to all kinds of people in this room, many of you feel like the tax collector this morning. You are rolling the videotape of what you did last night through your mind, even as you sit here this morning. And you think if these people around me knew the sinner I was, they would not have welcomed me, they would not have shaken my hand, they they would not have had me here. Do you know what I say to you this morning? Welcome to Grace Community Church. Amen? Welcome. Welcome. And then to my right, and a few down front, is a whole crew of staff for FCA camp this week. I'll be preaching there Monday through Thursday night. Whole crew of staff here. All kinds of students are going to descend on that campus. But do you know the reality? So I assume these guys are walking close with the Lord. But the only reason you are who and where you are is because of the grace of God. And that if you somehow as camp staff, if we somehow as the people of God lose sight of the day that in our lostness we beat our chest and say, God, be merciful to me a sinner, we will have in that moment lost sight of the great grace of God that saved us. If you're proud of your, your performance, the gospel will fall on deaf ears. If you say, I didn't commit adultery, he did, you'll miss the message of the gospel. If you say, I never cheated anybody out of money like he does, you'll miss the gospel. The gospel is the fact that I am so sinful, Jesus had to die for me. And so loved, he was glad to die for me. That's the gospel. 
so sinful there was no other plan that would work, so loved there's no other thing Jesus wanted to do more than to die for me. As a matter of fact, verse 7 says, One will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. Righteous, good, what does it mean? Is it the same? Is it different? Loads, have been, loads has been written, but I think there's a pretty simple explanation. A righteous person is a righteous person who knows he or she is righteous. Right? You've met them. They're righteous and they know it. And righteous people who know it want you to know it, don't they? They really do. They're self-righteous. A good person is a righteous person who doesn't know he or she is righteous apart from Christ. Right apart from somebody else having contributed to his or her righteousness. They're, they're good. It's different. It's a difference. And so what, what Paul writes here is this woman will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, we would even dare to die. What's his point? His point is that you and I are neither. We're not even close. We're not righteous. We're not good. The word is enemies. What does that word mean? It means what it says. We were enemies of God. We were weak ungodly sinners who were enemies of God. You know, the, the trouble with this, I think, sometimes sinking in us is that if you came to Christ at an early age, it's hard for you to conceive of yourself as an enemy of God. It, it just is. If you came to Christ at an early age, the most sin you've ever committed was since you came to Christ, isn't it? It's interesting. And it's hard for you to conceive yourself as ever having been the enemy of God. I think by the end of our time today, it'll sink in, but we'll move through. I'll just, just give you kind of my concept. And it, it is ironic that I'm speaking to a bunch of athletes this week because I've never been one. <laughs> ever. Ever. Like never nerd from the day one. Nerd from day one. You know, that, that's just me. Never played a sport, have two kids, wonderful athletes, not me, ever. All right, so, so when I was in elementary school, I'm old, we, we didn't have PE, we had recess. All right, I don't know why it was called that, but that's what it was called, recess. And we played this infamous little game called kickball, right? Rubber ball about this big, foot, joins ball, goes out, hopefully not too high, on the ground, and you can make it around a base or two. All right, so this doesn't bother me at all. I'm no lie, I've not been to counseling for it. <laughs> Though after the laughter in the early service, I might need some. But, but, but when was I chosen every single time? Y'all are a bunch of losers. <laughs> Last, every time, every single time I'm standing there, right? And these two kids are picking teams because they want to do one thing, win. And guess who's last? It's me. Every time, like, I'd stand there. As a matter of fact, if the, if the coach had chosen me, you know, the, the student coach, the designated by the teacher student, if, the, if he or she had chosen me first, I'd have no respect for them. None. Well, you're going to lose. 
You put me on your team. You're done. Like, like I can I can figure out formulas and and angles of getting around the but pff, kicking the ball for some reason. Big ball, little foot, missed. You know, whiff on more than one occasion. This is how I think of Christ choosing me. I'm serious. Standing there, I bring nothing to the table. Nothing. Nothing. Like, absolutely nothing. Like, I, I don't bring anything. I, I, I don't, you know, the, the man I am today and the, the sermons I preach today, the, those weren't there then. That was not there then. I was a snotty-nosed, bratty little kid who, who was a nerd and who, 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 who picked on my brother and my sister and who did the, that's who I was. I didn't wake up in the morning with high, reverent things to say about God. I was innately, inherently selfish. And he picked me. Wow. That's grace, amen? amen? That's grace. While we were weak, ungodly sinners, enemies, truth number two, Jesus died for us. You can't tell in the English, but if you can see it in the Greek, the word died is the last word in every sentence, the next three sentences. Matter of fact, I'll read it to you as it would read in the Greek. For a while we were still weak at the right time for the ungodly, Christ died. Died. For one would scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, or, or one would dare even to die. That's the second sentence. Die at the end of it. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners for us, Christ died. Paul, brilliant. Brilliant with the pen, right? And he says, I'll make a point here by repetition and by placement. By repetition, died, die, die. By placement, at the end, at the end, at the end. Why? It's end emphasis. It's a powerful tool. Emphasis is almost always the beginning word. Here it is at the end. Paul is saying to the Romans, if, if, if he didn't die, we're done. If he didn't die, we're lost. It's over. There's no hope. There is no hope for us if Jesus did not die. Verse 9, since therefore we have now been justified. So his death brought justification, justified by his blood. Much more shall, we'll be, shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Let's deal with the first part because then there's some staggering uh, statements that we've got to get to. What does it mean to be justified? We talked about it last week, to, declared, to be declared innocent of all charges brought against us. Wow. All sin. Are you ready for this? Past, present, future. At that moment, declared innocent. 2014, July. Kent Brantley is an MD. He's a doctor in Liberia. He is uh, serving during the Ebola breakout when he himself becomes infected. That's a scary thing. Working with Samaritan's Purse, they lifted him out. But before they did, there was a 14-year-old kid he had treated who was in recovery. And that 14-year-old kid gave Dr. Brantley a transfusion of his own blood to put into Dr. Brantley's body. Kent Brantley arrives to the United States. He is followed behind by another doctor, by a nurse from Dallas, Texas, 
and then by a freelance photographer, all Americans, all infected with Ebola. They quarantine Dr. Brantley, and once they do, these others arrive. He goes by August into remission. He is healing, and as he begins to heal, they go into his body, take plasma out of his blood body, put it in all three of those others. What do doctors say about it? Let me read it to you. Here's how doctors think it works. When confronted with a virus, the immune system creates antibodies to specifically target that virus, kill it, and keep it from coming back. That's what your body does. Once a person has antibodies, they stay in their blood for life. If the Ebola antibodies found in an Ebola survivor's blood can be imported into a struggling Ebola patient's body, those antibodies can theoretically help the patient's immune system fight off the deadly virus. Amazing, isn't it? Doctors say that even though the sick person's body is trying to make antibodies, an infection can be so overwhelming that the sick person's immune system may not be able to keep up with the virus. The virus gets ahead of it. That's when death occurs. So as a result, the sooner the person gets a plasma transfusion, the more likely it is to help that person recover. Wow. And so it is that Dr. Brantley, the other doctor, the nurse, the freelance photographer, survived. Why? One person's blood went into their body. That, that's what Paul is saying here. That when you came to faith in Christ, you got a blood transfusion. And the virus called sin, your body can't handle. But Christ can, amen? amen. You, infused with the blood of Christ... Ezekiel would picture it a different way and say, the man or the woman with the heart of stone now gets a heart of what? Flesh. Uh, Paul would write later, if any man is in Christ, he is a new what? Creature. A new creation. The old things have passed away. All things have become new. Paul would write to the Corinthians who were blowing it in every possible way to the saints at Corinth. Uh, sinners become saints, those outside or inside, those not in the family become in the family. Why? Because of the transfusion of the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ covers our sin. And when the blood is applied, you can fight off sin. You can say no. This morning, as I was praying through the sermon, praying through my sermon notes early, back porch, this old song came to mind, and, and I asked him to, to pull it up, and I want to sing just a couple, couple lines of it. It may be familiar to you. It's so about this, right? There is, sing it with me, a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath what words that flood lose all their guilty 
stain. Sing it out, church. Lose all their guilty stains. Lose all their guilty stains. And sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. William Cooper wrote this, a great poet. Lest we ever think too highly of ourselves, don't forget that the first person in was a thief. The first one welcomed in was a dying criminal. That's our legacy. That's it. Let's sing that verse. The dying, sing it out. In thief, rejoice. That's beautiful. To see that fountain in his there may I and there may I though vile as he wash all my sins away wash all my sins away sins away and there have I and there have I though vile as he wash all my sins Thief. Thief. First one in. Jesus died for us. Blood applied. Why? In order, truth number three, to reconcile us back to God. Much more, Paul says, shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God? The ultimate threat confronting sinners is neither sin itself nor the power of Satan nor even death, but the wrath of God, and we are saved from that only through the death of Christ. It's the wrath of God. Verse 9, since we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. This phrase, much more, or more than that, three times. And honestly, when I read this, I thought, what could be more than justification? 
What could be more than that? What could be more than being justified? And Paul, how could you say more than declared innocent of all charges against me? And so I read and studied, and here's what we find. Verse 10, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, his blood, much more, there it is, now that we are reconciled, Shall we, we be saved by his life? How does Jesus save us by his life? And how is this more than justification? How? Is this a benefit that, of salvation that somehow it's just, just kind of cowers in the shadow of the greatness of justification? Is, is this one of those... Uh, Things that we have just failed to get as the people of God. Let me give you three verses. Romans 8, 34. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. Here it is. More than that was raised. All right, so a crucified Christ without a resurrected Christ is no hope at all. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is what, church? Say it loud. What's the word? Interceding for us. In his death, he justifies. Through his life, he intercedes. All right. The writer of Hebrews 7.25, consequently, he is able to save to the, I love that phrase, the uttermost, those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make what? Intercession. All right, here's my guess. Here's my guess that you went through this entire week and perhaps your mind never lifted to the reality that in your waking hours and sleeping hours and your hours of being preoccupied with everything that you must do, that perhaps your mind never lifted to the reality that there is a Christ in heaven who has called your name out incessantly before the Father. Incessantly before the Father. That, that his thoughts toward you that he lives to intercede. One more verse, 1 John 2, 1 through 2. John, that aged now apostle, writes, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an what? Advocate. With the Father. Who is it? Jesus Christ, the righteous. He's interceding. What does this look like? I want to bring this right where we live because we're talking about how we view ourselves, how we view others. So I teach Old Testament, New Testament, Montreal College, all freshmen almost always. Spring semester this year, students are turning in papers. They're having to wait. And the Holy Spirit, I can explain it no other way, just simply prompted me to Pray that God would leave one student last. 
sat to my left, always attentive, always early for class, great on his work, and so I did. I prayed that, and sure enough, he was last. He came up to me to turn in his paper, and I looked at him, I said his name, I said, what's your story? And he looked at me, first words out of his mouth, and said, there's no hope for me. I said, really? He said, yeah, there's no hope for me. Why? I asked. He said, oh, I blasphemed against the Holy Spirit. I said, oh, you have? Yeah, he said. He said, I grew up in church. I've not been there in two years. I know God wouldn't want me there. I said, okay. Could you tell me what you did? What, what, what did you do to blaspheme? I, I'd like to know. He said, as he dropped his head, his eyes could not meet mine. I am addicted to pornography. I cannot quit. If I could, it would prove that I am saved. The hopelessness was palpable. I said, would you like to hang out? He said, oh, yes. That day, went down to the Huckleberry. I said, bring your Bible. He did. We opened to Romans 5, and we started doing work. He's battling wonderfully toward Christ. He's not missed a Sunday here since except to play ball. He's back home for the summer sending me text. This battle, incidentally, against porn is big. It's hard. This week I'm sitting in my house. I get a text, and it's a pickaxe and a Kindle, and it's crushed. And I said, what is this? He said, I'm done. And he went out and took his axe and took his Kindle where he had once again failed and just crushed the thing. My next text said, was that yours? You know, just making sure. Like, it's fine to destroy your property, I guess, but not in others. Those verses I just quoted from 1 John 1 or 2, 1 and 2, he's memorizing this summer all the way through. My little children, I write to you that you may not sin. But if anyone does, we have an what? Do you know why God put him on my mind? Because Jesus was saying, hey, that's my boy. Hey, 
Father, that's our boy right there. And that's our other boy right there. And if we could get those two together, somehow the boy who's ran for, who's run for two years, uh, the boy who's been away from God for two years, thinking there's no hope that he's sinned against God for the one final time, and God has turned his back on him. I just want him to know I'm in his court. I'm on his side. I love him deeply. I died for him. That's what Jesus Christ does for us every day. Amen? Every single day, and I could clear off a place and preach right now, but every single day, this is what he does for us. He intercedes for you. He calls out your name. If you could just hear the echoes in the throne room of God as Christ lives to intercede for you, that is love, unbelievable love, unconstrained. It is reckless, amazing abandonment that God loves you like he does. Wow, what a God. This is him. This is who he is. More than that. Aren't you glad for that little phrase? Three times. More than that, we also rejoice. Amen, we do. In God, through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now, today, received reconciliation. You're in. Can I say you're in? You're in. If Christ has saved you, you're in. And you'll never be out. You're in. So what do we do? We brag about God. We're getting ready to do that. 2 Corinthians 5.18. All this is from God. (laughs) Who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of what? Kicking people when they're down. Oops. Nope, nope, nope. Don't think it reads like that. Gave us the message of condemnation. Is that it? Nope. Gave us the message of judgment. Nope. It's easy to do that, isn't it? Catching your kids doing wrong. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to do that. Helping them to do right is hard work. We're reconcilers. That's our ministry. Every person in the room who knows God is reaching out to those, some who know him, who don't know how they should know him, and those who don't know him to say, this is, this is him. Look and see. We sang it, right? Look and see our God. I love verse 20 of 2 Corinthians. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Look at this. God making his appeal through us. So what's the appeal? We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That's my job description and yours. Be reconciled to God. My job is to beg you. It's to, in reckless abandon, beg you. Be reconciled to God. Wow. So while I was sitting on my back porch praying this morning, I thought, this truth is too good. Like, I can't get to it. I can't preach it. Like, I, how am I going to preach such depth? And every decent preacher wants to wrap it all up. Like at the end, it's just what we're taught to do. You wrap it up in like a little tiny bow and you send it home with the people. And, and hopefully they just kind of unwrap the bow and just look at it all over again. And so I sat there and perhaps I've read this somewhere. I certainly won't take credit for it. Even if I didn't, praise the Lord. But I thought of this parable. 
what if, uh, what if some young, young kid, young boy, teenager went down the street, stole his neighbor's car, and in the process of speeding away, ran over his neighbor's son and killed him. Cops catch him and goes to court. He's found guilty of murder, manslaughter, guilty of the theft. Goes sitting in the courtroom to hear is the father of the child whose car was stolen, whose son was killed. And what if that father steps up? when it's time for family members to express their typical bitterness and anger before the sentence. And everyone who knows his loss leans in. And he says, I am here to say that I forgive this boy for stealing my car and killing my son courtroom nobody expected that but what what if the the dad who has the floor out of respect they're going to give him all the time he needs he doesn't stop there he says so I beg the court if you will Rather than send him to prison, could he come home with me? I have a new car waiting for him right now. And he can sleep where my son slept. In his room. Nobody knows what to do with that. Listen, we killed his son. And he showed up in the courtroom and said, in my father's house are many rooms. And if that weren't so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place you who those of you who killed Jesus sleep in his bed eat the father's food drive the father's car God didn't save you and shelf you. He saved you and gave you a home in his house. I can't do that justice in a sermon. Can't come close. 
Our team's going to come. We're going to sing a song to close. We're going to do two things while we sing this song. There are some of you who are far from God, like that kid in my class, and this radical grace is hitting you square between the eyes, and you need to come this morning and receive Christ. Number one. Number two, there are others of you who are going to Caswell. All right, loads in the early service. We have fewer students in this service than the early. Loads, we've got 80-some kids, 15 adults. God bless their hearts. Going. All right, so what we want you to do, all of you students who are going, come forward. Just line up here, adults, any of you who are here, and, uh, and we're going to pray for you. All right? Yeah, you can come on, Elijah. It's all good. Yeah. Just come on. So what is our ministry? Reconciliation. Last year, I, you know, this year I'll be at camp here. Last year I was at home, same week as this camp. My wife went, no lie, I prayed all week. I knew the schedule and I prayed through the schedule, prayed that God would reach down and grab my son's heart and rock his world. He did that. He answered that prayer. And so if you sit here and you know or you don't know these kids, these adults, your, your opportunities to come as a minister of reconciliation and pray, God work in your lives, right? God changed them. And the 90 others will be trekking down. And then secondly, Alan Michael will be here. James will be here. I will be here. Keith will be here. Our staff up front, if you don't know Christ, oh, don't leave this place.